BBCC episode 62, my realization of the day. Scream fans have wanted an actual stab movie for forever. So what if they made one and then within stab, there's an in-universe movie called Slash. The franchise would be like when you try to record yourself in a mirror and that does like one of those infinite reflections things. Let Robert Rodriguez do it. More meta, more meta. That was a sad bubble. I, I broke the little bowl on my bong, so I'm rocking with the bubbler today. But hello, <laughs> hello. It is your boy, Devon Taylor, a.k.a. underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter and Instagram. And this is the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. I am one of your hosts, and then sitting across from me, I have my lovely co-host. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? I've got Scream on the Brain. Saw Scream last night, the new one. I watched Scream 4 again this morning and Scream 3 yesterday, so I'm I, incapable of thinking about anything other than Scream right now. Same. I, I did the I did the double feature this morning to re-watch them because um, your boy is not as high as usual because I'm very hungover today. <laughs> um, so actually watching them uh, back-to-back the, is a nice little nice little hangover bloody blue cinema club <laughs> yes that that is definitely what i am today it's so funny i didn't even really drink that much last night like wow. i drank like a moderate amount you're getting older man it's tough you know it's really funny because i like you know i'm a bartender and while i'm working i'll take shots with you know customers here and there sure and i'll take shots throughout the night and i'm completely fine obviously i guess because i'm like working and yeah, whatnot totally. but then like yeah. whenever i'm just like drinking regularly it only takes like half the amount of shots yeah. and then I'm feeling it. Of course. Yeah. Just Might sit. also be because I drink beer too whenever I'm like off. So it's like beer and the shot, I guess, makes me Well, yeah, so isn't that the, the beer before liquor, never sicker? Isn't that the kind of the... I think that's a myth. I don't know. I, I you think tell that's us. You're myth. the one that's hung over. <laughs> I mean... No, because technically yesterday I drank liquor before beer because like I had had a couple shots like during my shift. Uh, and then when I got off, then that's I whenever I had a few beers in addition to a couple more shots. Well, perk up. We got a show to do. Buddy. We do have a show to do. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm very excited. I mean, Scream is on everybody's brain right now. I feel like that's literally all I see on Twitter. Yeah. But I'm too lazy to put in all the mutes and stuff. You know what? Out of all of the things that could be on my Twitter feed right now, I'm happy that it's Scream. True. <laughs> true. Um, I will take Scream on the timeline all day. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's what everybody's talking about. And that's what we're talking about this month. We are working our way through the franchise. Mm -hmm. And uh, today we have Scream 3 and 4 to chat about. And uh, yeah, Garrett has seen Scream 5 already. I have. I have, I have not yet. Um, and we're no obviously spoilers here. No me. spoilers. You got it. No spoilers. Well, until next week, at least, <laughs> um, there will be spoilers for scream three and four. If you haven't seen those for some reason. Yes. Um, but, um, we are going to talk scream five for the next episode. Um, but to give everybody a little teaser, um, describe your feelings on scream five in three words. Oh man. Um, Ooh, um, I'm going to say take mm. down. That's one word. That is technically take down of toxicity. How about that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Take down of toxicity. Interesting. Um, Cause definitely not the, the route I 
expected that movie to go. I really have no expectations for this movie, which is nice. Yes, lots to discuss. You know, and and I'm actually very excited for it. I'm I'm more excited now because like as we've been going through the first four entries, I'm, you know, I've gained a little more appreciation for this franchise. Yeah. And, um, and like, especially like watching, you know, the four of them within the past like six days. So it's like, I feel like I have like a a reinforced connection with, uh, with the crew now. So like, I'm actually more excited for screen five than I was before. My expectations were like pretty low, but like now I'm like, okay, I'm actually excited. I'm intrigued to see what they do with it. No, it's a, it's a good time. Like definitely fun to see in theaters with a, with a big crowd crowd and people were you know it's an opening night crowd so people are cheering and, and applauding and when certain you know these legacy characters come back people are excited and then of course there's like a little not it's not a spoiler but there's like a tribute towards Wes Craven at the end and you know people cheered for that so yeah definitely fun to see in a theater and I'm excited to talk about it next week I am very excited too but for today's episode we got Scream 3 and 4 so Willem Dafoe kick us off Scream 3 released February 4th, 2000. This was directed once again by Wes Craven, but Aaron Kruger take up, took up the writing duties for this one. Kevin Williamson was busy and uh, had some other stuff to do. And how ironic that someone with the last name Kruger came in to write this one. It made a $161 million on a $40 million budget. Another big success for the franchise. Um, and most of the other returning players are all back. Marco Beltrami is scoring again. Patrick Lussier is editing again. Um, and um, and uh, Peter Deming returned to do the cinematography for this one. Um, he didn't do Scream 1, but he did do Scream 2. Ah. Um, which, which I actually... We'll get to that. We'll get to that when we talk Scream 4, actually. But we will. <laughs> as far as cinematography goes. Yeah, it's um it's a choice, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, choices were definitely made. <laughs> and then of course we have our principal Trinity is all back. We got Sydney Prescott, we got Dewey, we got Gale. Well, I mean, we kinda have Sydney. And we'll get to that we here in a minute to too. Well, yeah. Um, but in case anybody hasn't watched Scream 3 in a while, and I'm sure you don't remember anything from it anyways, because it's kind of a non-memorable movie, um, Garrett is going to do our 60-second synopsis. I got a minute. Are you ready? Oh, God. You, you said it the best. This is not a memorable movie, so I've got some notes here that will hopefully uh, <laughs> help me through, even though I just watched this movie a couple of days ago. I'm like, what is it about? So, yes, I'm um, ready. All righty. And we're off in three Two, one, go. All right. So it's been a couple of years since the last Scream movie. And Sidney Prescott is like, you know what? This sucks. I'm going off into the woods, hanging out by myself. None of you guys can talk to me. So she doesn't know that while all this is happening, they are making another sequel to a stab movie, of course, using her real life incidents and and, and tragedies that happened to her. So while this movie is filming and taking place in Hollywood, all of these killings start happening to cast members and crew and the like. So she gets roped back into it with Dewey. Courtney Cox is also there with her bangs and they're trying to solve the mystery of who could be this new ghost face killer who could be this imposter who is not terrorizing woodsboro this time but terrorizing hollywood that's right scream goes to la the big city uh tinsel town trying to find out who this killer could be could it be ties to the past ties to relatives you'll have to find out three 
The answer is yes, two. yes. There are ties to relatives One. and such. <laughs> nice. That's actually a very concise. Now I feel like I got to up my game for whenever <laughs> I uh, do Scream 4. That was actually, uh, you covered pretty much everything. Thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah. Scream 3 seem, I mean, Scream 3 has the lowest critical reception out of any of them in the franchise. Um, and I would say, like, from what I've seen, it generally tends to be everyone, well, it, it's towards the bottom usually. Sure. Um, but I, then I don't it, see a lot of people being like, you know what, that Scream 3, that's my favorite one of the series. You I know? mean, there's <laughs> definitely, the, it, it, I definitely did see like that kind of thing where I always feel like when a new movie in the franchise comes out, then there's always like the entry that other people like start like having oh, totally. more appreciation for. for. Sure. And I did yeah. see that with this one. I did start seeing a lot of people being like, no, Scream 3 is actually good. It's not bad. Um, yeah. I mean, ask the horror queers. They're a big fan. That's fine. That's totally fine. My point is I don't see even even still, I don't see a lot of people being like, this is the best one. Oh, yeah. You know? No, I, I don't think I, I I've think ever seen people, anybody yeah. say this is their favorite. Most people, it's like <laughs> it's like in the middle or if you're myself, it's it's at the, the very bottom. But I will say for a franchise that this is my least favorite entry in compared to something like Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street or, or Friday the 13th. The 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 chasm between my least favorite, you know, entry into this franchise versus my least favorite entry in some others. It's astronomical. Like oh, my, yeah. my least favorite Halloween movie is like it's like dog shit. And this one is like still very fun and comparable with some of the other sequels. Mm-hmm. It's just not as good uh, in, in certain regards. But it's not like I watch this and I'm like, oh, my God, what a complete like chore this is to get through like it is with some others you know it's not yeah it's it's a little bit of a detour doing the marathon you know it's not as fun as some of the other entries but it's yeah it's still definitely got its its redeeming qualities for sure i mean i think it says a lot about a franchise when a franchise's quote-unquote worst entry is still better than a lot of the best entries and other sure you know franchises absolutely and so there's definitely that and i mean and it you know scream is just consistent like across the board like you know we both enjoy four and we'll get to that Mm -hmm. but um you know it does have a really good consistency across it um i hadn't i'd only seen this one once like ever and that was like i think same for me yeah I think it was like in college maybe was the last time I watched it. Like I really didn't remember like a lot of it. Like it pretty much felt like a, like a new first watch again. Yeah. Because like I very much like kind of forgot a lot of the things I knew. I knew who the killer was, but then um, I forgot that he was solo and I thought there was still another killer. Yeah. So I was still trying to figure out who the second killer was. Gotcha. And then I was like, Oh, there's not a second killer in this one. Yeah. It was kind of the same for me. I think I had seen this movie back when the uh, fourth one came out. And I think I was mm. like doing a rewatch or a, 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 an introduction to them because, you know, I was of an age to where it's like, okay, you can finally start watching some of these like a little more like adult kind of graphic movies and the screen movies aren't, aren't that bad in regards to like violence and all that kind of stuff. But Uh, My point is, is I watched Scream 3 and what I remembered from it was mostly like the Hollywood angle. And I remember there was a sequence that took place on like a film set. And I thought that that was like fun and clever. Uh, But other than that, yeah, I didn't really even remember who the killer was at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was kind of like a first time watch, even though I had seen it before, but no plot points or any of these characters really, really stuck with me. So, yeah, it was like uh, pretty much like uh, watching it with fresh eyes. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, the franchise 
steadily ups the meta factor as the franchise goes on. Sure. You know, I feel like that's just kind of a thing that, you know, that's what you expect in this. Um, this one, you know, Scream 1 2 came out within a year of each other. It was like a, you know, quick one two punch. Yeah. And it was great. And then, so then they took three years before doing this one. Um, this one did have a bit of a troubled production um, just because there was. Um, there were like lots of rewrites going on. Like sometimes they would show up to film a scene and like they would get new pages like that day. Yeah. Um, a lot of rewrites. Um, there were scheduling difficulties apparently. And I'm assuming that's with Nev Campbell considering yes. Scream 3 is kind of not Sydney's movie, yeah. which I actually am okay with. So the story behind that is her contract only allowed her to be on set for uh, 20 days, mm, which is why she this is. is why she has less screen time in this movie than other films, which I do feel is like a pretty big detriment to this movie is it tries to introduce some of these other characters. And I do think the idea of having these essentially, you know, the stunt double versions of them, you know, the, the actors that are playing them in this movie. I think that that's a fun idea uh, to where you kind of have these, you know, these, these, these people who aren't these characters, but kind mm -hmm. of are these characters who are tagging them, uh, tagging along with them. The, the, I don't know the character's name, but the one who is playing Gail Weathers in the movie, she's Jennifer. like, yeah, she's <laughs> like, I'm going to hang out with you because he wants to kill you and not me. So I'm going to just be your little shadow. But you were talking about the rewrites, you know, that also plays into the movie where they're mm -hmm. talking about how there's multiple different scripts. And so it's got that, you know, that layers of yeah. meta commentary, which I, which I feel is that. also like references to two because two had the, the internet leak. Yes. And then so they like kind of mentioned that of like, oh, we have different version of the script because we don't want it getting out. Of course. Who, you know, yeah. the plot details. So yes. like that they're commenting on themselves as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the it, you know, I feel like they still didn't take advantage of having this double, you know, with the, the characters and their actors portraying them. Yeah. I feel like they didn't do enough with that, except it except with Jennifer, which. Like, I mean, she's in this movie more than Sydney is, honestly. Totally. I mean, yeah. and not going to lie, of course, Parker Posey, I think, is one of the better parts of this movie because mm -hmm. she's Parker Posey. <laughs> um, I love her so much. You and have she, a pocket full of Posey, one could say. Yes, one could say. <laughs> Um, and like her, her and Gail actually make a really great comedic duo, um, throughout the movie. Like they play off of each other really well and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I wish we got more of that with like the other ones. Like, you know, we got a moment where the actress portraying Sydney like meets her and like kind of has this moment and like, yeah. And also funny in that they used her as like one of the red herrings in the movie too. Yeah. As, is an interesting take, you know, as these movies, uh, come along and the fourth one um directly addresses that but as fans become become a bit more savvy to the kind of the structure of these movies mm -hmm. these films introduce a lot more red herrings and oh yeah it's 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 almost a little bit of a detriment to the third and fourth one for myself that some characters act a little needlessly suspicious like mm -hmm. and it's <laughs> and it's only to throw off the audience to yeah. where somebody does something that is like Hey man, super weird thing to do just then, but it's like, it's only for us to be suspicious of them. And then, but you know, if everybody's mm -hmm. acting weird, I guess nobody's acting weird, you know? True. Yeah. I mean, we definitely got a lot more red herrings in this one and, and I'll talk, I'll talk more about the red herring stuff in the fourth one because yes. I think they do some funny stuff with it. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, so it's like we, we got that going on and I mean, overall, like again, like there are things that I actually liked 
about this one more than I did two. Okay. But elaborate. Then, elaborate. But then like lower. Like it's like I I feel like the highs in this one beat the highs in two. Okay. But the lows in this one also beat the lows in two. I see. That's how I feel about this movie. I actually I actually gave them the same rating. Um, mm-hmm. whenever like I ranked it and I'd still say, you know, two might be the quote unquote better film, mm-hmm. but this one actually was more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. Sure. Um, like, um, uh, like I said, like the, the, we get a lot less ghost face in this one, mm-hmm. which is at first I thought was going to be an issue. Cause like I, I was reading the background stuff beforehand because yeah. that was another big change to this one is they intentionally added more comedy in yeah. and less in the horror because this came out around with the Columbine shootings and you oh. know, media was getting, you know, scrutiny for violence in movies. So yes. they, so they did put more comedy in this one, yeah. um, which, you know, depending on your, you know, comedy is obviously very subjective. That can be a good or a bad thing. I thought that was going to be a negative, yeah. but it actually ended up like, I thought it was very solidly funny. Like, mm-hmm. I think this is the funniest one out yeah. of, out of uh, all the films. And, um, and I think it worked, but then I definitely like, I felt that lack of ghost face though, too. Sure. Like, they, I mean, he's really gone for like a good portion of the second act. Like we go a good bit without any kills going on. Yeah. When we just have like all the Scooby-Doo shit. This is the most Scooby-Doo Very out of any so. of the screen yes. movies too. Yeah. I think for myself and the, the, the grand, sh- the grand sh- so scream of things, you know, oh, uh, there thank we go. you. Thank you. Um, but this one has always just been my least preferred and the least memorable. And I think it is precisely because the Scream franchise, we've talked about kind of the appeal of this, all of these movies is the the whodunit of it all. And then also mm-hmm. the meta commentary of being self-aware and, and commenting on horror tropes, you know, not to say that it subverts horror tropes. In fact, it embraces them more often, but I think this one kind of has less material to mine from because mm-hmm. the second Scream film is able to talk about sequels and kind of the the need that horror has to kind of capitalize on real life tragedies and and just making sequels be for the hell of it and they make money and I think there's a lot to mine from that but with this they talk about how they're going to follow the the trilogy tropes and Randy comes back and you know post-mortem Randy and like a VHS tape Gotta is, love it. and is like saying well this is a trilogy so it's got to follow these rules and I just don't think that you know, trilogies and horror aren't super synonymous. Um, there's not mm-hmm. a lot of prominent horror trilogies. Like you could look at like the first Friday the 13th trilogy, but then they went on and made 10 other ones, you know? Yeah. So it's, 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 I don't think that they're able to comment on that as much here. Um, which I think is to the film's detriment. The humor thing isn't something that really bothers me because I think that the series is already pretty funny. Oh yeah. And it doesn't take itself too seriously. You know, it would be kind of odd to have something like really deadpan humor, uh, really deadpan, like, you know, honesty about the horror genres and tropes within the horror genre, but take itself super seriously. That would just not really work for me. So it's kind of always had this very tongue in cheek kind of attitude towards it. So the humor is not something that really bothered me. Um, but I think, when you take out some of those core characters, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, 
and then replace them with some of these other people. I just, these other characters just didn't interest me as much, even though they are a little, you know, funnier. And I like the idea of Mm -hmm. having the actor counterparts. When you take away Sidney Prescott from the story, contract necessities aside, the final product, I think, suffers from it a little bit for myself. Yeah. I mean, I'll say I think the supporting characters in this one are more entertaining than the ones in two. Because that that's like my one of my biggest negatives of sure. two is like I literally just like could care less about all the side characters. They all kind of suck. Yeah. Um. And I do like that we get a little bit more entertaining from uh, the supporting cast. And like and like I said, this is like Galen Dewey's film. Yeah. Which it, again, like, yeah, I definitely do feel the lack of Sydney. But at the same time, one, when we do get Sydney, we still get great stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, Sydney is, you know, still a badass. Like, sure. even even though she's, you know, kind of sad and everything at the beginning because she's, like, isolated and, like, you know, yeah. has all this trauma built up. But then, like, her in the second act, like, coming back into, like, you know, like, getting her mojo back. Yeah. Um, this screen three, how Sydney got her groove back. That is alternate <laughs> S- Sydney's title. New groove. Yeah. No, I, I, I think the stuff that we get in Sydney with Sydney here is, is good. And I, one of my favorite parts of this is how, yeah, she's isolated a little bit, but she doesn't isolate herself from the world. Like she's still, she has a job where she works at a women's crisis counseling center and is like doing remote calls from that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really interesting that she's using this trauma as a way to kind of pay it forward and to continue to reach out to others in need, as opposed to doing like a Laurie Strode kind of thing and just hiding in the woods and, you know, holding a shotgun for 40 years, like waiting for yeah. this thing to happen. I think Sydney is a lot more proactive in trying to help others who, yeah, probably didn't have a masked killer coming to get them, but did suffer real life trauma. And she's using that to, to uh, help people, which I think is, is a great idea and really commendable for her character. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, for sure. I think that this movie, even though it yeah lacks a little bit or Sydney takes a little bit more of a backseat, there's still a lot of development here mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, development that carries over into screen four, sure. you know, like again, like you said, like her trying to help other, you know, victims as Definitely. well. Yeah. And like, and the whole idea of like, you know, being, being a victim and like, you know, obviously like that tends to have a negative connotation to it, but then like, sure. I like that this movie is like, you know, does plant the seeds of like, you know, the stuff that they're going to do in four as far as like reclaiming power as a victim. Yeah. Um, so I do find that interesting and, and I do, you know, I appreciate this movie for it being Gale and Dewey's, um, kind of story because, um, it does really, it makes them feel a lot more flesh and full and like. And, and it really like, you know, this is like after this movie, this is like when it's like, no, like they, they are truly a Trinity, you know, it's like in Scream 1, it's yeah. still Sydney show, you know, and Dewey's not in it quite, not nearly as much yeah um, as Sydney and Gale. And then in 2, you know, we get, we get more Dewey and I would say less Gale. So then it's like, but Sydney is still the front runner in that one. Sure. So then I like that this one, you know, gives them their due to yeah. like really cement them. Cause like, we don't really have many of those in, yeah. in, um, in franchises, you know, like where you have three core members that are all totally. equally important yeah. and have, you know, the different stakes and bring different things to the movies. Like we really yeah. don't have that too much. Yeah. I think the Dewey and Gale relationship in this is not as interesting to me. I think it gets better in the fourth one. Um, and we're still on our, I, I want the Gale redemption moment because I'm still like not a huge fan of her character. And mm-hmm. I think the, the, 
it's a little uh, kind of rehashed in this movie that their relationship is just Gail's trying to capitalize on whatever's happening, make a story out of it. And then Dewey's like, oh, you like, I can't believe you're doing this. And like, that's literally their dynamic when they first meet. Yeah, it, develop, yeah. it develops from that from that. But it's just kind of like, man, we've really been doing this for like three movies in a row now. Yeah. We? You know? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I do. The, like, I have a lot of issues, especially with the first act of this. Yeah. The, the movie, the, the second and third act are significantly better. Sure. Like this first act is kind of poopy like just top to bottom <laughs> uh, top to bottom i don't know why i didn't say shitty as if this is not explicit um that's funny though kind of but, poopy. <laughs> but it is um especially like because like at the beginning i felt like i was having whiplash even though i just watched scream 2 i was yeah. like i was like wait so it because it takes them a minute to like get to like okay why aren't doing gale together anymore sure, like they've sure. already broken up and been away and stuff and that's like then we find out later it's like oh she left them yeah or left him to go do 60 minutes to and like all this stuff. Yeah. And then, like you said, it's like, then it's literally just, yeah, to, just it's to not Gail yeah. back down a few pegs. Yeah. So we can have the same arc in this one of her, you know, being selfish to saving everybody because she cares about them, you totally. know? So like, yeah. yeah, it definitely did feel like a very repeated arc for Gail. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, th- I think that's maybe my issue on the, on the whole with a lot of this is, it because it doesn't have that kind of meta commentary on it. I think a lot of the character stuff is kind of the same and the, the who done it also is kind of the same. So I don't know if you want to like jump to the kind of the reveal of this movie, but it's yet again, another I'm, Oh, it's me. I'm a secret family member that you didn't know about until the end of the movie, which is literally the twist of the second one where it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I've been here the whole time, but you didn't know that I was related to so-and-so. And it just gets a little like, Okay, you know, I, I know the horror slasher genre isn't necessarily known for originality, mm-hmm. but I think for something like Scream that claims to be aware of all of these things, it's again kind of my frustration where it's like, I don't think that Scream thinks it's better than some of these, but it seems like it's able to poke fun in a way that it's like, yeah, but you're also doing that thing that mm-hmm. you're you're making yeah. fun of other movies exactly. for doing where it's just like, oh, they're just going to keep making sequels and tell the same It's story. okay because we because Randy said it's in the rules so yes, we can yeah. do it, yeah, you that, know, that like whole, literally. Yeah, that whole lampshading thing is such a is a is a I think a consistent problem with this franchise, one that I think uh the new one uh subverts in an interesting way, which we'll talk about, but yes, I I the the whole twist of, oh, I was related to so and so all along is not a super fun twist for myself just because I like watching a movie like this and trying to piece together the clues and trying to be like, okay, well that person was here at that time and what's their motivation to do that. And then it just Mm -hmm. throws in like this reverse Uno card at the end and it gives you information that you would, there's no way that you'd be able to piece that together. Yeah. It's just not as, it's not as fun. That Scooby-Doo-ness of it all is just kind of like, okay, I guess man, you know, just throwing this, completely crucial information mm-hmm. there at the last second. It's not as fun. Yeah. Well, I'll say again, like this is an, for me, this is another aspect that I do think is stronger than two. I, I actually like the, the, the reveal and the killer for this one being Roman, mm-hmm. um, the director of, you know, the stab of stab three. And yeah. then it's his cast being killed off, but then he's, he's making a movie while he's making a movie. It's so mad. Like, yes. It, so it's like, I like that. And I and, you know, and giving that connection to Sydney is interesting. It's definitely more interesting than with whatever they were trying to do at the end of two. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this this movie and what I noticed in Scream 4 as well 
is, and, and it's in two, what I've noticed is in, except for the first film, the, all the other three films, they do the thing where it's like the, obviously, you know, they do the whodunit stuff, but yeah. the, 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 the person who it is, like if you want to predict a screen movie, whichever red herring character disappears in the second act, yeah. it's that person. I've noticed that too. It's like, cause this, like this, Roman is yeah. like gone this through the second person who's act. like barely in the movie is, is the killer. They introduce yeah. them and then they take them away for the second act and then they come back in into the third act. Yeah. I think the fourth one, um, I won't say anything about the fifth one because I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the fun. But I think the fourth one really subverts that in a way to where the the villain of the movie is consistent. At least one of them is like consistently throughout yeah. the movie, and so it really is that. Like I don't yeah. know who it could be, but yeah. when you think about it, it's just like, oh, who is it? Yeah, the guy who's in the movie the least. It's like okay, well, that's not as interesting. This is a character that I it's I don't really have much of a connection to. Yeah, know, like you know, it makes you know like because like they kept doing the red herring for Kincaid, the the detective. Yeah. You know, and honestly, that would have been more interesting if a cop was the killer the whole time. Like, yes. I think that would have been more interesting. But then if they did that, like, because like then they wouldn't have the, you know, get into the whole subplot that they try to explore in this one of, you know, the um, the um, the 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 sex nature of Hollywood yeah. and people sleeping with producers to get parts and sure, stuff. Sure, an early Me Too movie, if you will. Yes, but of course, I think they kind of did it in a pretty shallow way. Yeah, um, they did. I'd say it's more of a punchline as opposed to like this is an issue with Hollywood and it's systemic. It's more of just like ha ha ha. She, yeah. she slept with the director or whatever. You know, especially yeah. when they have the scene where Carrie Fisher makes her random cameo yes. and then <laughs> she's saying, "Oh yeah, everybody says I look like Carrie Fisher. She, I would have got the part if unless if she didn't sleep with George Lucas." And yeah. then I was like. Wait, what the fuck? I was like, why did they have Carrie Fisher do that? I you was know, like, as, that, that was very weird. As the resident Star Wars fan around here, I, I have, uh, Carrie has always been someone that's had like a, a, a good sense of humor about about Star Wars and, and the, the silliness of it all and where her career was at at this time. It's 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 fun to see her and, the, the you know, just uh, her poking fun at herself. But yes, it is it is quite silly where it's like, wait, did Carrie Fisher fuck George Lucas? The answer is no. But yes, but, it, but that made it weird to me. I like yeah. I. Like, yeah. like, I mean, I love her, but like, I thought that whole thing was just like very weird because yeah. of like what they're trying to do with it. And, yeah. you know, well, maybe they're trying to portray this idea of, oh, well, this this person got this role and I didn't get this role. So they must have slept with this director. Yeah. You know, kind of that 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 issue I assume is pervasive in Hollywood. I'm not a Hollywood man. I'm not an actor, so I don't know. Yeah. But it's, and and it's weird too, that they, you know, chose to go in this direction Mm -hmm. um, and kind of focus on it now in the third film when this has been a recurring thing already too. And the first one it's, you know, Billy goes crazy because uh, Sydney's mom was sleeping with his dad. And then at the end it's Mrs. Loomis mad because Sydney's sleeping with Billy's dad ruined her marriage. Yeah. So it's like, it's this kind and then now in this one, so it's like this constant vilification of, you know, promiscuity. Yeah. Yeah. Promiscuity of Sydney. I mean, like, I don't know how many times they call her a slut in this franchise. Like people just love calling Sydney's mom a slut, like a lot. And it's, just like okay i like i get it but then now that's like the well you're trying to explore in this third one of like okay like we're gonna turn it around it's not her fault she was lured in by this creepy producer but it's like it still didn't feel like it made it better 
Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's, it's a pervasive issue with uh, the series that we've talked about to where, it, you know, it, it introduces these things or makes fun of these things, yet it also abides by it a lot yeah. and, and also, you know, either explores it on a very surface level. Like we've talked about how uh, there are a lot of black characters in this franchise who seem to be like, this is insane. I'm getting out of here, but then still end up getting yet killed. Every single black which, character y- still dies. Yeah, which is, you know, obviously a trope in the horror genre, but the idea of lampshading, well, it's uh, if if we make fun of it or make a joke about it, then we're allowed to do it because you can't you can't criticize us for it. For me, I just would I would wish that there was a bit more um, creativity for that. But yeah, I think the idea of the police officer would be interesting. Um, uh, I think I think this is the it, it, it could have like a clue syndrome to where it's like you could theoretically have like six different killers and think of a way and motivation that they could all have it. Uh, the motivation for why they would want to carry out these killings. But I think that's my issue with me with, oh, it's the secret family member of so-and-so because that kind of could fit into anybody. It could fit into Mm -hmm. the black guy where he's like, oh, well, I was the dad of so-and-so. And And it's just like, okay, well, there's no, there's no, the mystery is not there. Like when, when you just... Cause that that's like a hat that you could put on any of mm-hmm. these characters that they're related to so-and-so. It's just not as, it's not as creative for me. And yeah. I think that that character motivation, something that we could have seen pieces of all along on rewatches would yeah. be more interesting. And it's know? like, and it's this, you know, and it's the same thing of like, yeah, like, I mean, cause they're doing it with the trope of, you know, Oh, it's the, the killers connected to the, is related to the protagonist. Totally. And, uh, but like, again, it's like, you know, Randy said it in that video, like his rules of the trilogy were like the dark secrets from the past will get dug up. Yeah. Um, the killer will be superhuman, which he was wrong about that one. Yeah. Um, I think he had like the vest on is what they were alluding to because he gets shot a bunch and they don't shoot him in the head like the entire time. That was literally, I was like, guys (laughs) between the eyes. Okay. You know, it's not that complicated, but then, you know, Kevin will, or not. Oh yeah. This was not Kevin Williamson. Damn. Aaron Kruger though, then hits, you know, like she did hit the timing perfectly in that because like literally I say like right after or like when they shoot him and I go in the head and then yeah. like literally two seconds later is when Sydney goes Dewey the head and I was like <laughs> okay so they, they they know what they were doing there yeah um and then uh the, what was the the other rule and then like at, obviously and then yeah being being related to them um you know so it, it's very bumpy yeah you know like and I don't feel like the movie, like by this point, like it being the third film, like I don't think that they were getting like tired or they're running out of ideas, but more kind of phoning it in a little bit. Like maybe Aaron Kruger, like, I mean, like what's the safe thing that you're going to do if you're coming in to take over screenwriting duties after something has been so well established? Of course, you know, I think your instinct is going to be like, oh, okay, I I do kind of need to let me just do what Kevin did a yeah, little bit. This movie does has a lot of nostalgia for this series, which is interesting mm-hmm. considering it only came out like three years after the yeah. original, <laughs> you know, like they have these, I know it's like, you know, sets and, and things like that. So of course they're going to incorporate prior elements, but it does seem mm-hmm. to have this very nostalgic kind of rose tinted glasses for a franchise. That's not quite that old. Maybe that's just speaking to how, uh, popular it was at the time and wanting to kind of capitalize on that or just doing the natural kind of 
well to end this trilogy at this point, which I, you know, I don't know if Wes Craven knew he wanted to make a, another one, but the idea of like, well, to end this, we got to go back to where we began. And, you know, I think the, the, the climax of this movie taking place in this big mansion is kind of fun. It's playing towards that Scooby-Doo kind of, there's literally like secret doors. And, 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 you know, I think that that's kind of clever. Mm-hmm. And it's also so Scooby-Doo. Well, I was watching it and I just this past Halloween had watched all of the Halloween movies because there were a few blind spots in there for me. And I was watching this and I was like, that is the same building as an H2O, right? And it is. It's the same, like, it's the same exact building where Michael chases uh, Lori and um, and, uh, her her kids in in Halloween H2O. Um, But yeah, I, I had noticed that and I was just like, that's this big Scooby-Doo looking mansion with secret doors and everything looks very familiar. And that's, that's the reason why. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. And I'm, I'll have a, I'll have a, another Halloween parallel later. Okay. Whenever we get to the movie math at I'm the end of the show, waiting with bated breath. Um, and then, so the, the last, the last negative thing I want to talk about this, um, will kind of segue us into, cause I kind of want to like, uh, highlight, uh, and go through like you know the the screen franchise is really good about sticking to their tropes their like their specific things you yes. know um and the the last like real thing i want to bag on is the cold open for this one is it sucks oh really you're not a fan no oh, I, I, the only thing that i was happy with in this cold open is that it kills cotton weary because i was like because i for again like i hadn't seen this movie a while ago i go fuck how much is cotton in this movie because like i hate cotton oh I yeah lo- i love leah schreiber great actor but like i hate got the the character and i and then so like when i opened up i was like fuck i was like we get more cotton in this one and yeah. then i was happy that he died in but what like, was what was your issue with the cold open um it just doesn't have like the intensity that the other ones do it doesn't have the tension because it's like cutting back and forth between like what's going on in the house and then yeah uh cotton going on this crazy joy ride to like try to get back you know and he's and which would be impossible you cannot drive an suv like that through hollywood that was funny i i thought the same thing now that i've lived here in la there's a scene where he like jumps off the freeway and there's a sign that says like going to downtown hollywood and i was like dude you're going downtown like like you're in a hurry and you're going downtown okay sure yeah I also thought that truck that he was driving is funny because he's like a rich, successful like TV guy. He just has a nice GMC. Yeah, I'm like, dude, I went to like high school with people who drove that truck. Like, you couldn't get a nicer set of wheels. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, is that supposed to be? uh, Because I was like thinking, I was like, in 2000, was that a luxury SUV? I I think you have like an Escalade or something like that, or a Hummer or something. I just Mm -hmm. thought that that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, driving through you know uh, downtown Hollywood to get where he needs to go. I'm like, good luck. You probably live in the hills, if anything. It's like, okay, yeah. man. Yeah, sure. <laughs> say, I don't know. Say goodbye it, to your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't have the, it just doesn't have the same tension and like, it's just not very satisfying. And then it also introduces, okay, other thing to bag on in this sure. movie. Yeah. Um, it introduces the fucking voice mimicker where they're mimicking the other characters. Yes. Um, and 
I'm not a fan really. Like I, they tried to do stuff. I'm glad they didn't just like do it just to do it. They did try to do stuff with it. Yes. With like, you know, playing with this idea of like paranoia and not knowing who to trust. And then yeah. like, you know, s- making Sydney kind of feeling haunted by her mom, you know? And like, yeah, I, I, I get like, at least they were doing stuff with it. I just don't really like it. Like, I, I, I don't think, know. I don't like using this word cause I think it's thrown around too liberally, but I do think it's fitting here where it just feels kind of lazy to where it's like, Oh, they can mimic other people's voice. How do they do it? Ah, he's got a magic box. It's just like, and it's also, I think it's an issue, um, in a couple of these movies where they have, they have Ghostface, especially in this when there's only one killer, they'll have Ghostface who is on the phone talking to whoever his victim is going to be. Mm-hmm. And then he like pops out of nowhere and kills them. It's like, how did you, how can you not hear him? Like how, he's, he's, he's talking on the phone. Like you should be, he's an earshot of you. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a, I can, there's a specific scene in scream four that I can, I can point to as an example of that. But yeah, that's something else that, uh, it, it, that's present in this entire franchise where I'm mm-hmm. like, how do you not hear this guy? So you can get away with like, well, it's probably the other killer on the phone, but as we'll get to a scream four. Yeah, not, I do. I do case. like, it's I, not the case. Yes. I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, I do like how they flip that in scream four, uh, later. Um, but yeah, like the, the magic box thing, I don't know. I just don't think like, cause one, it, this movie again, like is already kind of lacking in a lot of ghost face. Yeah. And then, you know, we also like don't get the ghost face voice, uh, which is provided by Roger L. Jackson throughout mm-hmm. the series. Yeah. And I missed it. You know, I, I missed that presence. Um, you know, totally. And, um, cause like even just his voice, I feel like adds so much to the like, you know, scarier elements to the tension of sure. these films. Yeah. And Ghostface, not to, not to bag on him too much, but he needs it cause he's kind of a goober, you know, he's got to have that he's, recognizable. That's his one good yeah. thing. He's that got the he voice does. and, the, and the, <laughs> the costume. And as we talked about the knife thing, but other than mm-hmm. that, he's kind of a goober. He needs the voice to be intimidating. Which Roman also didn't do. He didn't do the knife wipe one time. What a schmuck. Yeah. What? a fucking schmuck <laughs> like god damn that's um, we need to go through and rank all of the ooh. ghost face killers of who's the actual best one we'll do yeah. that at the end of next episode Dope. when we will yes. rank the franchise and then we'll also rank, rank ghost faces yeah. Ooh, i like that yeah um uh, but guess yeah. who's gonna be at the bottom <laughs> uh mickey uh fair fair totally fair yes. <laughs> for me we'll see what yours looks like um but yeah, so it's like, um, not a big fan of that, but I do like that they do still stay committed to, um, a lot of the other franchise tropes in this, you know? Yeah. Um, cause he is still a goober. He does get thrown <laughs> down some stairs. Dewey's falling down hills and has a limp again, which yes. I think is hilarious. Yeah. Um, like, you know, so it's like, we still get a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. um, which makes me happy, yeah. you know? Um, we do in the finale still get the... Um, the standard, like one of them, one of them thinks they kill him and then somebody, you know, yeah. and it's always a stab. And then of course that doesn't do the trick. And then it's always somebody, then one yeah. of the other characters gets to finish him off. On and the, now everybody's got a kill shot. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the, on the topic of, of kills, was there a favorite kill from you, uh, in, in this movie uh, in particular? I mean, the kills are, yeah, the kills are kind of pretty, uh, Kills are kind of meh in yeah. this one. Um, I do like the the scene where um, they're messing, where Ghostface is messing with the, the cast when they're all at that house. Yes. And um, which one, like that that one beat of, 
they literally run in and out of the house three different times. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all like yelling at each other not to do it. So Scooby-Doo. And then, um, but then I do like, uh, the use of the fax machine. I thought that was a a fun little add to that. And then, um, we've never had, um, Ghostface blow anybody up. I know. I was (laughs) like, wow, he's like really up in his, um, his, uh, his uh, budget here, you know? Um, But I think my favorite, it's not necessarily the kill itself, but I think the sequence is really fun where um, I I don't remember the character's name, but they're hiding in the kind of ghost face clothes rack to where there's a bunch of different costumes and he's like hiding within that. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's a really great use of, okay, well, if you're making a stab movie, you're going to have a lot of these extra costumes. And the fact that this movie takes place in Hollywood, I think is like the perfect kind of set up for that. I think that that's a really clever sequence, but yeah, the house blowing up is, um, I don't know. It's interesting. We've never really seen Ghostface do something like that before. I would think that Ghostface would maybe want to be a little bit more personal and would want people to kind of relish in it as opposed to just blowing people up. I'm not opposed to it. It's not like, you know, antithetical to what Ghostface is to me, but I was like, it kind of surprised me. I was like, oh, okay. Hmm, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It surprised me, but I, 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 uh, enjoyed that scene. And then, um, not a kill scene, but um, I do enjoy the sequence too of um, Sydney on the film set of yes. her house. Yes. Um, so she's like obviously getting triggered by all this like you know iconography around her house. Yeah. Um, but then like you know so then once the chase commences and she kind of thinks that like oh wait this is my house I have the yeah. upper hand I yeah. know it but yeah. she doesn't know it yeah. you know so it's like she goes to like do the thing that she would do in a real house but then it leads to like that door that's like two stories up you totally. know and like. Yeah. Um, and that kind of stuff. So I thought that was a really fun sequence as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for the most part, it, it does take advantage of the, the Hollywood kind of, uh, setting here where you have the film sets, you have the costumes, you've got these big fancy mansions where crazy Hollywood directors would have weird, you know, <laughs> weird mm-hmm. swinger parties at or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You've got like yeah. secret basements and stuff. I thought it made a, a pretty good, um, uh, did a pretty good job of distinguishing itself from a lot of the other Scream movies because Scream, for the most part, is like, hey, it's in a sun, sunny kind of a small town and it's gonna the movie's going to end at a big mansion where people are having a party and this one was kind of a, a subversion of that. There's a pool in this movie. We don't get a lot of Scream pool action in this entire no, series. Yeah. No, that is also true. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if I have too much more to say about this one. Um, so my last thing will be um, my favorite Parker Posey lines from this movie because once again uh, she is um, she's a queen she knew exactly what (laughs) like Parker Posey understands the assignment always absolutely that is like definitely her thing I was also uh, watching Blade Trinity last night Ooh, what'd you think that's a that's another one that's not as as preferred um, I like it more than others do, but it's definitely not very good. And okay. again, Parker Posey <laughs> is one of the best parts of that movie. I want to fuck vampire Parker Posey so bad. <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds. In that oh, one. as a vampire, not no, even specifically like... as a vampire. Oh man, that's tough. Yeah. Like, honestly, I think that's her at her hottest. I see. Yeah, that that could be uh, dangerous. You're playing with fire there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what were your favorite lines? Let me hear. Um, I mean, we have the um, iconic. You know, she bursts into the the producer's office, and then you're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter, and then <laughs> uh, and then Gail followed up with, "All right, easy there, Aldo." Um, good. Again, Very which good. I hear every episode on Horror Queers because they like use that in their uh, easy intro. Aldo. 
that that whole uh, part of oh, it gotcha. they they like splice that into their intro music gotcha um a lot of episodes Very and nice. then um also the scene which is also great because this also has another scream franchise trope mm-hmm. gail getting hit in the face yes um so jennifer goes to um jennifer slaps hits dewey and then and then wait now how did it go because it, it, it's again this is like a very like three stooges like scene yes um fuck i had it written down i i noted in uh my letterboxd review that i think that ghostface is the fourth stooge i think he would fit perfectly <laughs> into that gang he's always bumbling about always falling down i could just hear the like the boing, 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 boing noises when he's mm-hmm. being a big cartoon goo yeah yeah <laughs> did, you, oh, did you get the beat i did find it it was um gail gail herself doesn't get punched but jennifer who is also a second gail in this movie does yes um is how it goes because jennifer punches dewey and then uh right afterwards gail punches jennifer yeah and then parker posey on the ground her delivery she like wipes her mouth and she goes my lawyer like that <laughs> <laughs> and ah, oh, so good. <laughs> yes, yes, great. Yeah, a lot of quotable uh, things in this movie um, from the supporting cast because they're also colorful, and it's a very, they really very are. silly movie for sure. They really are. Uh, do you have a last note? Um, no last note, other than I think the real villain of this movie is Courtney Cox's bangs. Uh, that is some real work there, man. Those are yeah, tough. those um, are tough. Yeah, looks like she did those herself. Yeah, again, the evolution of Gail's um, haircuts throughout the franchise. Thank goodness she gets a good one in four. Yes, finally. finally, finally, yeah. <laughs> it took them four movies to give her a good haircut. Um, apparently, the because um, Courtney Cox was like doing like an interview where the three of them were, and yeah. um, the bangs were cut off of this wig, but they only had one wig. And then they mangled it because they like cut it improperly and like made it too far back and uneven, but they didn't have another wig. So they just rolled with that one. That's the whole movie. Insane. You think they would just be like, Hey, can, can, can some of our coffee boys go get another wig from the grocery store? Like that's outrageous. I mean, come on a $40 million budget and you can't afford one more wig wig and you just rather your character (laughs) run around, look like an idiot. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Yeah. That's uh Whew, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, well, we're worse than the streaks for sure. By <laughs> far. By far. Um, so let's go ahead and get into the next one. <laughs> All right. Scream <laughs> Four, 2011, nearly how many years? Bad at math. 11, 11. years after Scream Three, Wes Craven is back with what would be his final film before his unfortunate demise. Uh, you've got Kevin Williamson, who is back uh, on the, the screenwriting side of things with Kruger also doing some rewrites there. Mm-hmm. Uh, same score, uh, different editor this time, different editor. Uh, and uh, cinematography is done by um, some absolute maniac. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that here. Uh, but had a pretty uh, pretty sizable budget, not as big as the third one with $97 million still. Uh, $100 million is quite hefty for a slasher film. But what is the plot, Devon? Are you ready to dive into what the, the, what the fixings are in this in under a minute? I believe so. All right. And your time starts now. So we open the film with them laying the groundwork for how meta this movie is going to be. We have a double fake out of screen of stab six and seven um, makes for a nice cold open. And then um, this has the Trinity um, returning to Woodsboro. Um, Dewey and Gail are married. Dewey is the sheriff now. Sydney is on a book tour with a very annoying Alice Brie. 
And um, of course, she has her homecoming and killing startup again. Mm. But it's different this time Ooh. because we have social media now ah. and live streaming. So um, Ghostface is trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to be the star of the story because they are tired of Sydney being the star. Um, so they want to grow their legacy with this homecoming. And the film does a lot of stuff, of course, with remakes and reboots is their big thing because this did come out in 2011. Heyday of the reboots. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, um, we have a bunch of familiar characters coming in. I only have five seconds left. Um, we have the best ghost face in this one. Oh, that's then. That's time. Best ghost face. That's, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, that's uh, Billy Loomis might have something to say maybe. about that one. Yeah, that's tough. That's definitely up for debate. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll debate that more in, um, in the next episode for sure. Yeah. So to give like a little bit of context for this, because I noted that too, the the state of slashers around this was, you know, on fire, like not even in a bad way. There was just a lot of reboots and, you know, mm-hmm. Friday the 13th was coming back and Nightmare and Texas Chainsaw. Hayden Panettiere lists them all off for yes, us. Literally. Even. Yeah, I, I, I almost wanted to like clip that little bit out and just tweet it and just be like, this is literally the Scream franchise of just a character on a phone yelling the names of horror movies. Um, I, I say that lovingly, but yeah, this was a, a, an era in a lot of horror where they were just like, hey, that was a thing. Let's make that again. The Hills Have Eyes, My Bloody Valentine, just so much. Uh, things that used to be popular back in like the late seventies or the, you know, mid to early eighties. And now they're back and scream mm-hmm. uh, is not an exception to that. And we've got this, this reboot that came out, you know, 10 years after I do want to ask, what do you think is like the value of waiting 10 years? Like, what do you think we gain from that? Do you think that this film is able to really capitalize on that? Um, I mean, I think it was, I think it made sense because I mean, the end of scream three, like did feel like a good, con- like, good conclusion like mm-hmm. you know everybody's happy at the end they're gonna go on living their happy lives and then i think 10 years is actually kind of the perfect amount so that way when it comes back again it's like nope 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 you thought you were safe but yeah no you're not yes. you know so i kind so i do like the uh the time gap in between it and uh yeah i mean just so many uh reboots and remakes and everything going on and but which is interesting because this one is just a fourth sequel or a yeah. third sequel it's yeah. not a remake or a reboot um, but it does play into, you know, Ghostface's uh, plan in this one. Um, and we have Kelvin Williamson back on this one. And you mm-hmm. can definitely feel that, I think, in mm-hmm. um, the, 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 the dialogue feels snappy again in this one. Yeah. Um, compared to compared to three. And uh, but yeah, and I like this one a lot. Uh, it got a lot of flack when it first came out. It does have the lowest box office total of um, of the series it did not crack 100 mil it still made 97 mil on a 40 million dollar budget um but it is um yeah oh, did d- i get that right wrong at the bottom at the the at the top that i that i, I thought i said uh, oh i don't know if you said i i can't remember oh, if i was said re- not reiterating i thought I you, that, uh, in the, yes i did i thought i said that this had a 100 million dollar uh budget which it did not oh <laughs> okay I, was about to, I, I, I said that i had a pretty hefty budget i was uh, so i read that wrong can you imagine if that's, this movie had a 100 million dollar budget we, we, we might yeah. get the time travel that they're talking about in stab five if they yes. had that much yes. money 
absolutely. That is funny <laughs> that they, they talk about all that because that's, you know, reminds me of, you know, like Jason X or something like that to where it just gets really sci-fi and strange because they were just like, I don't know, we'll just try this. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, and again, like, I mean, people still liked it, had a better critical reception than three did. Yeah. Um, but I guess just by the box office. But then it has been one of the ones I feel like people have come around on this one a lot more since because one, of course, Wes Craven was ahead of his time. Yeah. You know, predicting so much. I mean, as far as like, you know, between the social media landscape, but then also the reception and the way that people talk about movie, uh, talk about horror movies. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, it was definitely uh, uh, not appreciated at the time. And now, you know, you know, with hindsight, everybody's like, oh shit, like Wes, Wes fucking was on to something, you yeah. know, obviously. Well, I think considering Wes was at, you know, not necessarily the precipice of, of, you know, slasher films, but he definitely is one of the Mount Rushmore of slasher filmmakers, mm-hmm. you know, um, he wasn't the first, but he was, he definitely made waves obviously. And I think considering where slasher films are at in this time period, given the context, even his own films like nightmare on elm street mm-hmm. you know i think that scream is this is really like the perfect kind of playground for scream to to come out in there's plenty of material to go off of here and i think one of my favorite things about this this film in particular is it's one of the first movies where i actually enjoy a lot of the supporting cast and supporting characters in this and i'm not just wanting to go back to the people that we are familiar with i think a mm-hmm. lot of the new faces in this yes. are fun and i like spending time with them um and it's but then they also do interesting things and and continue the the stories of the characters that we are familiar with and seeing where gail is at and seeing where dewey is at and they're all in this different place and how they're able to kind of come back to this thing that they thought that they escaped and i think it's yeah i think it's 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 a lot of fun i think that there's some really uh, cool kills in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like some of my favorite kills in the entire mm-hmm. franchise are, are in this movie. Um, it's just a shame that it's really ugly. It is a very <laughs> ugly movie. I started it and it's been a while since I've seen it, but I was just like, Oh shit. Like, why does this movie look like this? Like it is, which Astounding. is interesting. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like Peter Deming heard people talking shit on his cinematography from two and three compared to the first one. He goes, oh, well, you you guys want me to do something? Just, I'll I'll do something. Just cranks that exposure up. Man, Everything is really flat, bright, and it's, it was like it was like they had no filters on set. Like yeah. they just like let all the shining yeah. and stuff go through. Like yeah. I don't know. Like this I mean, J.J. Yeah. Abrams, I guess, was popular <laughs> around the time, and his lens flares. This, like I don't know if that's what he was going for. Movie looks like a flashback. You know, like when characters will have a flashback and it's no, everything's it all hazy. It's it like at this whole movie just looks like that. I, in my notes, I just have, why is this movie so ugly? It's so bright. Why? It's why are all the whites just like so blown out? It's very odd. Like it's considering Scream has always been a franchise that has had a lot of the horror stuff during the daytime. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, wow, that is a choice. Like, <laughs> And see, and then, yeah. And like, cause I will say like the night scenes are way better. The night scene, the yeah. night scenes actually feel a lot closer to scream one sure. than scream two or three. Do. Totally fair. Yeah. Like yeah. when it's at night, 
like it actually feels like Scream One. But then yeah. like yeah, during the daytime, it, it's very hazy, very fuzzy, which yeah. you know works in certain movies, but definitely not a Scream movie. Yeah, really, um, really caught me off guard. I was like, is my TV setting like what the hell is going on with this? Also, I've got like a bone to pick with whoever is distributing like the Blu-rays for this series. I have like a collection of these movies, and the fourth one is not included in that. I had to like buy it online. Like mm-hmm. I was trying to find it. It's not streaming anywhere. Thankfully, they're, the, they're, they're having a sale on Vudu, so I, I I've got it. But I was like, yeah, what the hell's going on with the, this? The yeah. the distribution is kind of all over the place in general because I guess in that aspect, and then like I hated that Peacock had the first two, but then. Yeah. Star, I had to download stars for the third one. Yeah, I think it might be on. Like, <laughs> and then the um, fourth one's on Showtime. It's like, geez, Louise. yeah, that's what it's like. Is. Yeah, like group them. Damn it. Dimension. Yeah. What I'm, are you doing? You know, I'm curious to see what the reception will be like with this new one um, financially. Um, you know, having seen the movie, I can say that it is more. There are elements of the sequels, but it's more about the first movie, um, which has been on Netflix very often. So I'm curious to see like. I know there is this kind of modern ghost face, you know, pe- people like ghost face and he's like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like thirst stuff, especially on TikTok. So oh, I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious to see if, if that's gonna, if that's going to, you know, continue to be fruitful. But I mean, if the box office of this movie is, is by any indication, it might not be, which is, I'm, I'm still so surprised that there's like another one coming out considering this didn't do that well. You know, it's maybe it's not a franchise that a lot of people are stoked to come back for. I don't really know. Well, I mean, because this one, you know, again, it didn't make nearly as much money as the other ones. They consider it underperforming. I mean, it like basically broke even because the budget is 40 mil and then they probably spent the same thing on marketing. So yeah. they barely broke even. So, yeah, it underperformed it. But the original plan was that this was going to that four was supposed to be a start of another trilogy. Yeah. Like Kevin Williamson had five and six ready to go. Um, and um, apparently he. um you can find more details of that. Uh, Bloody Disgusting just put out an interview oh, that cool. um, the horror queers, Joe and Trace, they uh, interviewed him and then he did um, shed some details on um, what he originally had planned for five and six. Nice. I haven't read it yet because I want to see the film, the movie first, but, um, but yeah. yeah, so that would be something to look into. I wonder if any of those ideas were also folded into the Scream TV show, which I've never seen, but I think it was kind of, pretty well received i think people I, were pretty into it i hear uh people like the first two seasons and then i guess it dipped after that i didn't I literally I didn't watch didn't any know of there it. were more than two seasons so yeah that's news that, to me <laughs> yeah there's like three or four seasons and people do seem to like um especially apparently the second season is pretty good interesting interesting um, but the the scream tv series um yeah it came out four years later and it had none of the creative team um from the franchise like literally nobody um, which I want to comment on, you know, we're on the fourth one now. And then, um, and you know, Kevin Williamson comes back. So it's like, this is like the, the gang's back of like, you know, from yes. one and two, but yes. really, I mean, it, it, it is a, it is very astounding. Like the fact of how much creative consistency that they kept, you know, like everybody coming back, like, yeah. you know, well, it helps when you, you all have a filmmaker like Wes Craven that everybody can rally behind mm-hmm. and oh yeah and believe in yeah. oh yeah 100 percent and like you know because I think it you know obviously says a lot about how everyone in the franchise cares about you know this this franchise yeah. like you know Nev Campbell really doesn't do too much but hey she's still down to do another screen movie you yeah. know and like yeah. 
Same and, with uh, Deputy Dewey there, you know, is uh, yeah. David Arquette is, I mean, yeah, they've obviously been in things, but I would say most people still know them from this and the fact that they're able to come back and reprise these characters, you know, that's, that's, that's great, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, you know, Wes didn't want to do, I love how I keep calling him Wes just by his like first like name. Buddy. Yeah. He is our buddy, our, bo- our boy Wes. Yeah. Um, you know, he obviously like didn't want to do like the sequels for Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff, but he did for this one and like, yeah. you know, felt you know, passionate about it. Um, which is great. And then, and I was happy, not happy. Like obviously wish Wes was still around and making more movies, but this, I think was a nice finale to his career. Um, as far as like, because before that his like previous, like three films before that, you know, people were kind of like, Oh, did Craven kind of lose his touch? Like, yeah, you know, they weren't received as well, even though red eye is a banger red eye slaps so red eye ass. is a banger we're red gonna have to talk about was red eye actually sometime. the fun fact the first wes uh, craven movie that i ever saw oh and i was like a young man when that came out and i remember renting that movie and watching it with my family and just being like I, you know being whatever like 10 or something when that movie came out and just being like oh my god this is so good but yeah i you know uh, that it's was fine. my introduction introduction to wes uh wes craven i almost said wes anderson what if wes anderson directed a <laughs> horror movie make it happen i know we're waiting <laughs> yeah the, i mean the we have been wes. waiting for years no just but please. um you know where where wes was at at this time in his career and and considering the the you know the the role that scream had kind of played in his career I think this is I would I, I wouldn't want him to cap off his career with anything else because I think that mm. this film is very reflective of not just the Scream franchise but also the horror and slasher franchise something that he had such a key and integral part in and I know he probably has some choice words about some of the nightmare sequels and and mm-hmm. you know some of the other slasher sequels but you know. Uh, whether he likes it or not, he was a big part of slasher films in the eighties. And the fact that he's able to kind of have that full circle moment to where he's able to comment on everything and something that he had such a big part in, I think mm-hmm. is fitting. You know? Yeah. And I feel like it feels, I, I feel like it's reflected in the way that, you know, we return to Woodsboro in this movie and, and now like, you know, the, these killings are the, are the town's legacy. Yes. And I feel like that kind of, it like kind of mirrors, you know, Wes Craven, like obviously he, even aside from slasher movies, even like he has, you know, a very great filmography Yeah, and, um, you know, and it kind of feels like, you know, it's kind of reflecting that of like this, you know, at, at the end of the day, I do think scream is his legacy. Yeah. You know, I still like a nightmare on Elm street better. Like mm. that as a franchise or the first one, um, as a franchise, maybe not. I mean, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely be doing the Elm street movies. Yeah. And like, I like most of them, but it's yeah. also like, but it's harder to say like, because obviously Craven didn't direct any of the other ones. So like him directing all these ones, like I feel like scream like truly is his legacy and sure. And it, and it feels like that in this movie, you know, this movie and that, you know, legacy is a big thing in the movie of like, you know, with our killers, motives in this one being um again another family member but i like the twist that they did with it with um you know the ideas of social media fame yeah and uh, stuff like that and again like predicting influencer culture essentially yeah you know and also the idea that you know um especially when you look at a character like Freddy Krueger or something like that, that the, the killer kind of eclipses the, the fame of yes. the, the protagonists in these movies. And there can definitely be argued, especially like in scream Two, that Ghostface is already be- being very popular. But the fact that they're the killers in this movie are really wanting 
you know, the legacy of Ghostface to be something withstanding and that people remember that, which I think in itself is is interesting too. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree because yeah, I would say this is yeah, one of the few franchises like, yeah, Ghostface is popular, but he's he's not the most popular thing about these movies. Like he's really he's not what people come for. Everybody comes for the the tr- the Trinity, you know, like sure. they, they come for the characters, they come for um Williamson's writing and the tone and like everything yeah. like that. And and Ghostface, you know, is, you know, still a very popular, you know, he's on, he's on my horror bag. He's, <laughs> he's got a face on there. Um, yeah. And, um, but I get what you're saying. And yeah. it just, this was, this was trying to give Ghostface's due a little bit more, I think. Yeah. And when you look at something like any other slasher villain, people truly do come for them and to see them, you know, rain terror on whoever, you know, whoever the kids are. Where in this, it's, you know, Ghostface is definitely the icon of the franchise, but when you don't have like a central face or persona behind that and it's just kind of a moniker, I think the the other characters and Sidney Prescott and all of these other mm-hmm. people are, I think the truth Easier like, to identify the, yeah, the, 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 the franchise. You know, horror fans and, and fans of this franchise, I think, is what makes it more withstanding and what people return to these films for. Obviously, the kills don't hurt it, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but it's I don't think that uh, Ghostface is the what makes this franchise endearing and i definitely don't think it's what made Wes craven stick around i think it's the characters and the you know the opportunity to be able to comment on on this thing that he helped you know flourish Mm -hmm. in the in the 80s you know yeah and and speaking of characters that's a good segue into um talking about the uh, you know we mentioned it kind of at the beginning you know that these have like a really great um cast of supporting characters within new faces and like um, aside from the first movie, this is like the strongest cast for 100%, me. Yeah. Um, you know, like all the characters, I mean, we love queen Kirby. Yes. She's amazing. Her haircut is fantastic. Yes. <laughs> um, so God, Hayden Panettiere, where has she been? I know I where was she been? watching this and I was just like, man, Whew, all right. Yeah. Oh, uh, I had uh, such a big crush on Hayden yeah, Pintier. Kirby Jesus. Kirby and Jill, um, played by Emma Roberts, are like two of the best introductions to this franchise. And yeah. the, the fact that you get to spend so much time with them is really nice. And yeah. I, I think that that's what, you know, considering we just kind of gave a lot of <clears throat> flowers to the main trinity of this of this uh, franchise, I think it is something to be said that you can introduce these new characters so late and they stand yeah. out, you mm-hmm. know, they stand tall. They're not just like, you know, noticeable, but they stand tall, like among the shadow of the, the main cast of characters yeah. here. Yeah. And they, and they, you know, mix that into the, into the, you know, plot for this one of like, you know, that they're, t- or, you know, the killer is Emma, Emma Roberts is yes. Jill. Oh, what? what <laughs> um it's her and um her and charlie who she like manipulates in and then yeah. she of course kills him yes um but she is the cousin of sydney and you know she her like motive of like always being overshadowed by sydney yeah. for you know her entire life you know is very compelling i yeah. feel like it's the best mo- it's it, like that in tandem with like her wanting her time and her and to be famous through this to become the next Sydney to be the the last girl standing yeah um I think is the most compelling motive aside from the first one as well 
um, and tying that into like, you know, like many a times throughout the movie, like this isn't all about you, Sydney. This isn't all about you, Sydney. Like yeah. you could do a drinking game for every time they say this is not about you. Sure. Um, yeah. In this movie. But I, I really, I really dig it. Yeah. I think the, the, the reveal itself and the motivation isn't something that I, uh, is what impresses me. What impresses me is the fact that it's genuinely surprising and mm-hmm. the fact that you're watching this this character who I think Jill is the one that it's more applicable towards, but someone who seems to defy all of the cliches to where she's got the creepy boyfriend and it would be easy to assume that would be him, especially because mm-hmm. he's like not in the movie at all. Like this just oh, rando I mean, dude. Trevor. Yeah, fuck Trevor. <laughs> fuck but Trevor. like it would be easy to assume that it would be Trevor or something. But the fact that she is one of the friends and she's being protected by the police and all that kind of stuff is really subversive. And it's mm-hmm. genuinely surprising, you know, seeing it for the first time. And when you watch it again, there's a it's really well done how there's a lot of little hints planted mm-hmm. throughout the movie to where you're able to be like, Oh, that's clever. You know? yeah. yeah. Like I remember watching it for the first time. Like, yeah, this was the one that like surprised me the most. I was like, yes. Oh, I was like that, that, that is good. Like that actually really did surprise me. And like, you know, them even playing the seeds of like, you know, they cast her like she was, you know, that, that was around the time that she was like getting more popular. She was branching out of like the, um, kid and teenage stuff, you know, Yes. Um, so she was gaining popularity. So like capitalizing on that because she obviously like looks like, you know, a final girl type. Yeah. Um, and then they play that up too. you know, like, of course, she's Sydney's cousin. So, of course, she's going to be the successor and the final girl in this. Totally. One. This is a legacy movie. Totally makes sense. Pas- and especially if you knew that they are going to want to make more sequels to this. You know, it makes sense how they would want to introduce a character and it's got that lineage and she's passing the torch on but yeah. to flip it on its head and be like, actually, no, she's the killer is I think that's it's fun. It's a good yeah. time. Yeah, um, because I don't think Mrs. Loomis ever suited up as Ghostface. So she is the only one, the the real only female Ghostface, yeah. which I appreciate. Yes, uh, I, I appreciate Emma Roberts in general. I think she is an underrated like screen queen like she has been in quite a few different horror things and yeah. she's very good in them um you know check out uh, screen queens like it only did two seasons but she's fantastic in it yeah uh, she's been in other genre films as well and i don't think she gets talked about as much um when it comes to you know popular actors in the genre world no it's totally fair and i think she's one of the it's it's almost kind of funny like uh, and the the new one is is not uh, you know free of this criticism either. It, when you were when it's revealed who the person is, they immediately kind of take on this. I'm a lunatic persona, and they're acting all crazy, and they're you know because mm-hmm. that's what Matthew Lillard did, and you know yeah. I I think she. Her, when the reveal is given to her and she, you know, reveals herself to be the killer, I think she still kind of keeps it pretty kosher like she's still kind of acting like the person that you yeah. have in, in, interacted with this entire movie she's not acting like this unhinged no. psycho it's it's no i mean she has flashes yeah yeah she has flashes of it but yeah she you know and she her like reveal and reaction to it just like it just makes sense for yeah. like the whole yeah um aspect of it and um <clears throat> i mean and while we're talking about the reveal the when we have our finale and yeah. everything is went down yes. and then she's framing herself as the sole survivor yeah. is 
probably my favorite scene when in she's the like franchise. Kicking the shit out of herself and like stabs Man. herself and throws herself. At I fucking the table. love it so much. She stabs herself on a wall. Yeah. Yeah. And then just straight into the painting. Just, and then she took that, like, yeah. she took down that coffee table like a champ. She just RKO'd this table. And yeah. just like, but, it, but, and then that idea of like, cause like that's her crazy unhingedness. Like, oh my gosh, she is really like willing to fuck herself yeah. up. Yeah. And like she's, you know, she's committed to it. She is, um, like she's she's in it to win it and yeah. i love that scene so much yeah so good i want to see like the behind the scenes of it i i gotta see it i don't know this poor stunt woman who's just like yeah. all right we're gonna do another take bring out another coffee table she's like oh god my back you yeah <laughs> shout out to the stunt woman whoever did yeah. this scene yeah. or if it was some emma roberts um, yeah. i'm sure some of it was but you know but, even i i think it's great that that sequence is still not like the last sequence because in a lot yeah. of other screen movies you have that reveal and then oh this was my plan all along and you did this to me and this is why I'm coming to get you. And then they get shot and Oh, they, they always come back for another scare and then they kill them. And then that's the end of the movie where this it's like, we have still a, got like another, like another 20 minutes piece. left. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fun, you know? It's, yeah. It's, and I, and I love that. I'm, I'm a sucker for a, a hospital finish. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a sucker for that. Love, um, happy death day does it pretty well. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of other movies, but I'm a sucker for like, yeah, when you get to the hospital and it's like, Oh no, it's not done yet. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm a sucker for that. And I mean, again, Sydney Prescott still got it in this movie. You know, like yes. there's the, the first encounter in the house where she fucking hits Ghostface with her patent right hook. Um, throws them down the stairs. Her bangs are also much better than Courtney Cox's. Much better bangs and <laughs> fucking kicks Ghostface square in the face. Yeah. Such it, a great scene. It, and it then, seems like she had, had taken some self-defense classes. Which yeah. I was like, it's about time, lady. That <laughs> I mean, but again, like Sydney's never been afraid to square up. And then the fact that she yeah. also still beats Jill's ass in her fucking hospital bed. Yeah. I mean, fucking queen good stuff. shit. Yes, of course. Yeah. She is. Oh Cal, my God. She's like, <laughs> it's like all Here, over. let me you find something him? to entertain him. Jeez Louise, man. Man, Cal has been trying so hard to make an appearance on the pod for this episode. He is just so enthusiastic just, about Scream 4. He's really bitter that you didn't make him the co-host of the podcast. He's like, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of balance. Like, all the characters, like, really get their moments and stuff. Um, you know, what, you know, Kirby has her like little set piece that she gets to do, which is fun. Yeah. Um, everybody really does kind of get their due in this one. Sure. Um, very, very well balanced. Like this one, um, definitely. I mean, I guess I think this feels like the least amount of like Dewey, Gale and Sydney. Yeah. Um, aside from three, but, but I think it's, it's something to be said that you don't really, at least for myself, I didn't really like miss that a whole no. lot because these other characters are a lot of fun and I liked spending time with them versus something like three that is a little, you know, uh, shy, not with, <clears throat> not with Dewey and Gale, but Sydney's for sure. And I feel it, you know, and, and with Ghostface isn't as, uh, isn't in it as much. And I feel it where at this, it's like, I like spending time with these other people. And I think also, you know, something that's improved a lot in this film is the kills. You yeah, know, there's a lot of yeah. really great kills in this. My favorite kill in this entire franchise is in this movie. And it's Anthony Anderson's character is stabbed right in the forehead. And he just like waddles out of his 
little squad car there mm-hmm. and just like throws and throws and punches. And yeah. He's like blinded by his own forehead blood. It's like, it's gnarly as shit. And apparently like Wes had like read about something similar mm-hmm. happening and was like, Oh, this is a true story. Yep. So it's kind of that idea of like truth is, you know, stranger than fiction kind of thing where he's like, it's taking a second from his body to shut down. It's really, really yeah. like it's creepy and it's just like, Oh God. You know? Oh yeah. yeah no, it is. Bizarre. It is brutal. <laughs> like poor Anthony Anderson, love him, like love him and uh, Adam Brody. And like, yeah. they're so fun. Like they have a nice little fun dynamic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that kill is like really gnarly. It like, you know, it's very drawn out and I love that. He still has time for not one, not one quip, but two quips. Yes. Like first he has an, Oh shit. Uh, whenever he gets stabbed. Yeah. And then right before he dies, a fuck Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, you know, I could have done without the Bruce Willis one, but the, the, that would be anybody's reaction to getting stabbed in the forehead is just, Oh shit. <laughs> I've been stabbed in the forehead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the kills are really good. I like, um, how, a lot of the kills are like made more public, you yes. know, because of obviously the angle that they're recording the kills and yeah. they want to make a movie. Well, like, that, that, you know, there's a really great scene where Dewey is having like a press conference and he's literally, yeah, he's yeah. literally like, everything is under control. It's <laughs> fine here. And then this woman just gets thrown off of a building and lands on this yep. news van. And it's just like, that's great stuff. And yeah, it also plays to these characters and this iteration of Ghostface that they're wanting to publicize this and they're wanting to be more famous and overshadow, you know, Sidney Prescott. And yeah, mm-hmm. they do so in glorious fashion. <laughs> yeah, I love that moment. And then um, I love the kill of, um, I guess her name was Olivia, mm-hmm. um, the friend that lived in the house across the way. Yes. I thought that, that was a little fun subversion on like the phone call. But then like he stabs her and like kills her and then makes it a point to push her out the window to show them yeah. what he's done. Yeah. I th- rips I, her guts out and everything. It's yeah. Mm. But that, that was the point I wanted to talk about of the phone thing. Mm. See, this is a common problem with this franchise for myself is that I don't think the rules of, you know, physics <laughs> quite apply here to where, You've got Jill, who is in the bed, so we know that she's not the other person on the phone, but Mm -hmm. you've got Ghostface, who is in the closet, like, making this phone call, but this other girl, Olivia, is not hearing Ghostface on the phone call. She's hearing, like, the other friend on the other side of the the street. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so she should be able to hear Ghostface very clearly, like, just whispering in the closet about, like, how he's... Well, she was on the phone with Jill. Yeah, but you still got the other ear. And then Kirby had the other phone on the phone with Ghostface. Yeah, I I, I think she still should be able to hear Ghostface in the other room. It's very nitpicky and pedantic to say. No, but it is... It's kind of a problem when you have a killer who is on the phone and talking you through it. It's like, how would you not hear that, motherfucker? fucker (laughs) yeah because like i mean because but i feel like it also like knowing that you're thinking that like does help this scene though because then because like i was thinking it like when he's like oh i'm in the closet i'm like I'm like, cause I totally forgot like that yeah. he was on, on the, the other, other house. The yeah. And so and I was like, I was like, can't they hear him? Like, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't they hear him if yeah. he's on the phone? And I was like, Oh sure. yeah. And then he's like, I didn't ever said your closet. Yeah. Really great. Um, I really enjoyed that. Like, and again, like it's nice having, um, uh, Jackson back doing the ghost face voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it's really on top of his game in this one. They're yeah, really hamming it up. Yeah, oh yeah. Doing great. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I think, uh, it's, it would be easy to point to like a film like this and be like, well, it's too violent. Scream has never been like a very violent franchise, even though it's about <laughs> violence, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's never been something that is, 
not like a nightmare or something where the, the, the kind of conceit is like, okay, what are we going to, how are we going to kill these people? And they're very elaborate and, you know, lots of practical effects. And mm-hmm. a lot of times in this, it's like how Adam Brody dies. He gets stabbed in the spine. That's, that's about it, you know? Um, but I think it is something to be said that a lot of the kills in this play towards the character and the motivation of Ghostface trying to publicize themselves in a way. And it's not mm-hmm. just, oh, it's 2011 when we can get away with more shit now. So yeah. it's more gory. It's like, oh, well, no, they work that in to as a society, we're a little bit more able to stomach something like this versus in the 90s where you had Columbine or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like as a, it's a, yeah, it feels like a natural progression. I mean, honestly, when I rewatched the first one, it was gorier than I remember. I was like, oh, shit. Like in that opening scene, like we do get lots yes. of guts. And yeah. Like, you yeah. know, and like the image of her hanging and stuff yes. like that. So, I mean, the first one does have some, like, fairly violent kills, but then two and three feel pretty tame. And then, yeah. like, yeah, but then it makes sense for one, he wants to go bigger, be more yeah. showy, be more yeah. flashy. But, it's, but it's, it, it's never been, like, a final destination where people are like, oh, their head gets sawed yeah. in half or whatever. Yeah, it's never well, been like that. I'll yeah. say it, it feels like a more natural progression than what Halloween Kills did. Yes. Like, the sure. way that they turned Michael Myers into John Wick, even though he's, like, 60-something... Um, is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, some of the kills are fun, but like yeah. some of the sequences are also ridiculous. That final sequence, I I hate it. Oh man, you don't want to get me started on Halloween kills. <laughs> Evil dies tonight, baby. Yeah. Evil dies tonight. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that movie. Yeah, I, that's a hill I am willing to die on. Is that movie is fun as fuck? But we'll we'll, we'll keep it. We'll yeah. keep it scream talk now. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it, it feels like a, a good progression. I like pretty much all i like a lot of the kills in this one like yeah um and you know we do still get good chase scenes like you know the the barn party is fun yeah um and then again like that um the showdown between Ghostface and Sydney, like midway through, was like just yeah. really fun. Like the, the the set pieces are pretty fantastic. Yeah, in this the, one in the bedpan and everything. Oh yeah. man, yeah, yeah, I totally. And uh, I love you know again once again Dewey's superpowers. He cannot die. Yeah, and yeah. I love how David Arquette uh, titled his um his uh, documentary thing is called David Arquette uh, will never die or or cannot die. That's funny. Um, kind of a play on his sure, uh, Dewey sure. character. Yeah, there's, uh, I think one of my last favorite kills in this is it's, they don't technically die from this, but it's the opening, not the first kill with like the fake out, like the, the garage door one to where it seems like they're trying to pay homage to the first one and then being like, what's well, a garage door? It's not going to kill you, you know? And yeah. Cause it, that it, was it, everybody's like, like problem with the first one. It's like that garage door would not lift somebody totally, up that high, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. um, but it's fun that they like tried to do that and the garage door just like goes back up and then he's just like, fine, I'll do it myself and just slashes mm-hmm. them. Like, I, I think that that's, that's fun. What do you, do you, how do you feel about the kind of the cold open of this one? I was going to ask you the same thing. Oh, yeah, look at us. Oh, we're, look at us. We're, we're <laughs> <laughs> um uh, yeah no um i like the i love this cold open um i think i like it it's my second favorite one besides the original i yeah. think it's a fun like i said it really sets the stage for like you know how because again this the franchise ups its meta levels with every entry yeah so i like it i thought it's fun like you know the the t- the double fake out love getting um some cameos from um 
We got Lucy Hale and Shanae Grimes, and yeah. they were, you know, they're in the teenage, yeah. um, you know, shows that were popular at that time. And then in the next one, we get Anna Paquin and uh, Kristen Bell. Yeah. Anna Paquin looking smoking, too, yeah. in this cold open. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Anna, Anna Paquin was like an early childhood crush for me because I was like a big, big X-Men guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, X-Men. X-Men guy. And then uh, later in life, re- you know, discovering <laughs> like in my teenage years, trick or treat and being like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She look damn good in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know some people don't like um, this cold open, but I like it. What about you? I think it's fun. Um, I, 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 I generally like a lot of the cold opens in this in this franchise. I think they're like a nice easing you in to, mm-hmm. uh, to the film. Oh, yeah. I just, uh, this one I think is not the most, it, it doesn't have as much impact on the rest of the film. Um, I think that like, it's just kind of, it just, it seems like it's own little thing, like it's own little mm-hmm. short film, um, where it's just yet another like, Oh, somebody got killed, you know? Um, yeah. but I, I do like the, the, you know, inception style, like, Oh, it's a movie within a movie within a movie, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of, it's silly and it's fun and it lets you know what type of movie yeah. that you're going to be watching. Which, and yeah, which, um, fuck, I was about to say something. Um, I really, yeah, I really dig it. Um, and even if it doesn't connect as much, it just has to be that inciting incident, you know? And like, again, it's like, you know, scream is very consistent with their personal tropes that they do. Like, you know, everybody's always falling down. Someone's always falling down the stairs. Someone's always getting punched. You get the cold open scream franchise has a, I would argue, I think there's a legitimate argue to make that scream even though it is pointing fun at other franchises for sticking to, you know, the tropes, I think scream has the most notable tropes. Totally scream. Like adheres to its playbook way more stringently than something else. Like Friday. 100%. I would 100% agree with that. Um, yeah, they're very, very consistent onto it. Yeah. And, um, in a fun fact, I, I timed all the cold opens. None of them are shorter than 10 minutes. Like, I mean, they really, you know, yeah. take the time to be like, Hey, like we're going to do something to establish this yeah. and, um, you know, get it going. And yeah, I definitely always appreciate that. Yeah. This one has, um, like always lots of red herrings. There's talking about like an example in this movie is, uh, Judy, like uh, literally see. like <laughs> emerges from the shadows and is just like, Hey, and it's just like, it's, it's, it's again it's, it's just like hey man why are you acting so fucking weird oh, like yeah. <laughs> she's well she literally stands in the shadows talking to her for like a good like 45 seconds before yeah. she does like come out of the shadows hey and do, you want yeah. my, do you want my lemon bars like it's just like god oh, geez it's so dramatically <laughs> it lit it's so dramatically lit i love it i love that scene yeah. like uh deputy judy is a is a, another fun character like yeah. you know she has a nice little foil to gail yes um and then but also like this like you know you thought that whenever Sydney didn't remember you're like oh shit she's the she's the killer you know yeah yeah yeah. and uh yeah so yeah plenty of red herrings to go around and um but I love that scene I I I crack up during that scene yeah Gail you're speaking of Gail she really steps up the sassiness she's really sassy in this movie and just like listen here okay I've been through this before she's like she has that line she's like you ever heard the term I wrote the book on this yeah it's like I've done this three times in a row okay like maybe you should trust me on this one but I did want to ask you because she's says something that made me think she said that she helped solve these murders do you think either of the three members of the core you know uh, uh 
people there. Like, do you think that either of them help really in any way solve the murders or they just kill the guy? Like they just survive long enough until they kill the person. Yeah, no, uh, that is, I, I wrote that in my note too. Um, yeah, no, they never figured it out. The killers all reveal themselves. hundred percent. Every single one of them, because that's another trope too, is the, yeah. is the ghost face monologue yeah. revealing their motivations. Yeah. They literally never solve the murders ever. Yeah, I, yeah. It's I, she said that, and I was like, "All right, take it easy, okay?" Like, yeah, you survived these until the person yeah, like no, you, you guys decided have, that you should know who they are. I mean, I feel like maybe that's like a a fun or not a fun, but like it's a it's a like revision that they do to like make themselves feel better to like cover up the trauma that hey, they've all killed people because yeah. of these murders too. So sure. it's like, yeah, I guess it maybe sounds better saying like, yeah, I've solved the murders rather than I shot that guy yeah. and killed him. In the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, take it easy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I, I did think that was uh, pretty pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Ghostface has um, some, some nice lines in here too. I feel like that was something that was kind of missing, especially from three. Mm-hmm. Two doesn't have nearly as many, like they're not as creative as uh, Jill and Charlie. Like yeah. they, they got some good, um, one of my favorites um, of, you know, Ghostface's uh, zingers. Um, I'm going to cut your eyelids in half so you can't blink when I kill you. Yeah, that's... I was um, like, ooh, that's, that's cold-blooded. Yeah, that's some heinous <laughs> shit right there. It's pretty... Yeah, I re- I remembered that one, too, and I'm just like, wow, all right, geez. Like, <laughs> that's a long way from like, hey, what's your favorite scary movie? He's <laughs> like describing in detail how you're going to yeah. see yourself die. It's like... like what? Well, and then he has like another one at the beginning, like something like, I'm going to put my knife so deep into you feel bone that yeah until, that I, feel bone. until yeah. I feel bone i was like damn like yeah he, he's pretty um you know they again like maybe that's part of it too of like hey we really need to like make ghost face like this ghost face legacy like yeah. so we're gonna even up our our phone game <laughs> yeah yeah i'm looking at some of the quotes here and i i came across the kirby one that you were talking about where she just lists a bunch of movies and <laughs> like so, all of them. yeah we don't get like a good we don't see like we don't uh, hear the question that the ghost face asks but it says name the remake of the groundbreaking horror movie in which the and then like she just says yeah he says, says in which the villain and then she just starts rattling literally just remakes. names like a ton of which is it's funny to to like when you say them all like back to back like that, you're like, wow, there have been a lot yeah, in recent yeah. years, but um, you 2006 know, to 2012, like so, so many. much stuff and they're still going except now they just ignore all the bad ones and they're just like, just pay attention to the guys, <sighs> yeah. which I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is what it is. But yeah, I, I, I did consider just, I'm clipping that little bit out, posting that to Twitter and just being like, this is literally just scream. <laughs> like this is the whole franchise we'll, right We'll here. do that on the podcast Twitter page. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Cause that's pretty funny. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, as far as like, you know, some of my critiques, like I don't have really that many except for, of course, like the, the hazy cinematography, like, you know, get some fucking light filters in there, please. Yeah. Um, you know, aside from that. And then again, they do, like I said, like, like I said, in screen three, they do the thing where it's like, um, cause Jill does disappear for like a good 20 minutes for yeah. a hot minute yeah. and then, you know, comes back in later. So they like kind of did still like, even though I, the, the mystery angle is still stronger in this one, mm-hmm. it does still like, that's like one of the few like scream crutches that I don't enjoy is like, they kind of do that every single time. Yeah. Yeah. They write, write themselves into a corner a little bit. Yeah. As far as like issues with myself, this one is definitely less um, than some of the other ones. I think 
my issue is that the twist is yet again another, hey, I'm secretly related to the thing, which is kind of a, a personal hang up that I have on a lot of these. Um, but I, I, I think this one, you know, I'm able to get over that hump a little bit more because the character is fun. And like, I think the reveals of Ghostface are a little bit more interesting other than I'm mad at you because I'm related to you. You know, I think the idea of wanting to publicize themselves works for me more also on like a meta level to where like the villains become more famous than some of these heroes, which I think is interesting. Um, Mm. The movie makes a point to talk about how being gay in slasher movies helps you. And I'm like, no, I don't think that that's like really a trope at all. Like I don't, I that can't ha- even think of a lot of like slashers where that's even applicable. <laughs> yeah, that has been like a, a steady criticism of this movie because yeah, like that's like the the these these movie buffs aren't as on top of it as Randy Meeks, of course. Yeah. Um, as far as um identifying the rules and stuff, like they you know they they have their spiel where they explain remakes and reboots and stuff, and I mean. You know, they they kind of get most of that, but yeah, like except for like that part, it's like um no, like there's a reason that kill your gaze is like a term that people like use yeah. in describing you know yeah. horror movies because like they always do that. Yeah, so there's yeah. A, there's a few moments in this movie where I'm like these people aren't these like film buffs aren't as film buffy as they think that they are. There's like Ghostface asks like what's the slasher movie that like set off the slasher craze. And the answer that he was looking for was, was Peeping, Tom. Peeping Tom. And I'm like, technically, yeah, but nobody saw Peeping Tom and we're like, oh my God, let's make a million of these. It's like, no, it was Halloween for sure. She says psycho. And I'm like, also not really, you know, no. like it's not, that's not quite it. The answer is Halloween. It's not the first one, but if you're going to ask specifically what sets off the slasher craze, the answer is Halloween, not yeah. Peeping Tom with like this British movie from the sixties. That's like not great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but but maybe that is like also like them kind of playing into the, you know, their talk about like the social media aspects and stuff. And like, um, is it's wild that, you know, Kirby shouts out Twitter and I was like, damn, Twitter has been around for a hot while and like yeah. talks about the way that people talk on Twitter. Yeah. And it's like these two guys like definitely do sound like a couple you know, of film bros. Yeah. Some, some, some of the people that you might stumble across on Twitter. Yeah. And then, you know, and again, like predicting the, the live streaming and stuff, which do those camera sets, exist well i know there was this thing called like the google lens which would be like glasses that you could like see things but i i'm sure that they're pretty impractical because you're wearing you know you're wearing eyewear that's technology on your face all the time i don't i i think that the technology does exist but i don't you're not having like switch uh, switch you're not having twitch streamers who are like going around doing something like that and really. like what was he streaming it off of the data from his phone yeah which a I lot was, of people didn't have like smartphones yeah. yet at that time i was, I was too like, many questions yeah i was like dude financially like the bandwidth on that's got to be insane your data plan's got to be through the roof like, and who's he does, even watching this? and he does know? it all day he does it at school who is watching this live stream yeah, while they're at school yeah of course <laughs> Like, no wonder you don't have any friends. Like you've got the worst content in the world. Like set up your Patreon, put out some, put it, some, put some effort into the stuff that you make, buddy. Come on. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, but again, I really don't have too many complaints about this one. Um, again, like I feel like it, it, like, I don't see how people didn't like feel refreshed by this when it came out. Yeah. Like, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's the separation makes the heart grow fonder kind of thing because, like this movie states that there's a lot of, you know, uh, slasher film remakes happening at this time and reboots happening at this time. And maybe it was just like, Oh man, we're doing another scream movie where this, you know, the killers get 
you know, they, uh, the killer calls the victim and, you know, it's just uh, on the surface, it could seem like kind of the same thing. But now that we've had time, I think that this film is like a pretty acute uh, kind of criticism of that era. And I don't think that it does the thing that I think a lot of screen movies do where it points out an issue and then just does it anyway. I think for the most part, it kind of yeah. avoids that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the supporting cast and the characters of this are really fun. Um, the kills are good. Um, and uh, despite the fact that it's like a pretty ugly movie, I think like having like a kind of a facelift for this franchise is, is cool. You know, I, I, I do really enjoy this one, but where it ranks for me in regards to the new one, uh, we'll have to see. We, we shall have to see. see. Yeah. We shall see. So, And to close out the episode, we will do our um, segment, Movie Math, where it's kind of, we're giving you some recommendations on something that'd be similar to this, but like if we had to um, make the equation of uh, Scream 3 and 4, what it would be. So what is yours for Scream 3? Scream 3 with me, I thought both of these were a little hard. Scream 3 was easier to do it with because of the whole movie kind of commentary so i'm cheating a little bit i'm still using new nightmare and i used that last week too but the mm-hmm. meta-ness of it all and the fact that it's about movie making takes place in hollywood i think you it would be a shame not to use new nightmare because it seems mm-hmm. really perfect for that but uh this is like not a super super deep cut but i also threw in shadow of the vampire which i don't know if you've seen it i still haven't i really want to but it's about the creation of nosferatu the the silent film but it's like hey what if we actually got a real vampire and made it like i made a movie with that like what would that be and speaking of willem dafoe um yeah he portrays uh, willem de goat <laughs> he portrays like the nosferatu character um so that movie you have a director who's willing to do anything to make their movie and you know paired with what we learn about the director in scream 3 i think that with kind of the meta-ness of of new nightmare is kind of like a perfect little uh, uh you know equation there for scream 3 mm-hmm. yeah what about w- you I was thinking the same thing. Like whenever I was taking my notes, I was like, yeah, we used new nightmare last week, but screen three is definitely the most new, my new nightmare ish one. Yeah. Um, so what I got, um, is seed of Chucky. Cause, um, people forget about that one when talking about like the meta films of that era. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like, I honestly feel like they were paying homage to screen three, with the way that they use their meta-ness of like sure. Jennifer Tilly is herself, but she played, but and aware that she plays Tiffany in yeah. a Chucky movie, yeah. like all these things. Um, so like, and, and obviously, you know, Sita Chucky is like the weakest of that franchise, but um, it's still a lot of fun. And the meta commentary in that one still holds up. And that was done in 2004. Yeah. Um, so I would, Definitely compare it a little bit and ahead of its it, time too, with a lot of like um, you know non-binary kind of conversation mm-hmm, of happening course. in horror. It was like kind of the first big movie to do something like that mm-hmm. in a way that's not like Psycho, where it's like kind of villainizing it in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. Again, yeah, very ahead of its time and in the uh, comedic tone as well. Yeah, um, I would compare it. And then uh, you mentioned it early in the episode, but my other one would be Clue. Ah, um, the the again like the comedic tone of it kind of feels in that way but then in the way that um 
Scream 3, you know, introduces a lot more red herrings yeah. um, to like kind of give more suspects and stuff. So yeah. also it ends in a, well, the, the whole movie of Clue is like this big giant old mansion where there's like secret trap doors exactly. and, and stuff like that. But yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And then, but so the way I did it though, I have Seed of Chucky plus Clue. That's in parentheses oh. multiplied by Scooby-Doo. Because Scream go. 3 just, I mean, a lot of people comp- like um say scooby-doo stuff about the whole franchise but scream three yeah. really is is where it's at on that one so you've got the pim dos thing going there mm-hmm. i like it <laughs> you've got mm-hmm. algebra and movie math now yeah <laughs> you know it um and then what would you say for scream four so for scream four i think the the you know I, I'm, I'm including the the idea that this is a sequel that is way after, you know, the, the last time that we saw these characters and we're meeting up, uh, meeting up with them after so much of their life has changed. So I put H2O, um, because of that, cause we're meeting up with Laurie Strode and it's been, you know, 20 years after the, the killing. Yeah. It's only about 10 or so, um, and, and, uh, scream four, but I have that element, but I also threw in my bloody Valentine just because mm. it is kind of like a more modern retelling of that classic story. And it's not afraid to be more gory and, and it's mostly about like young kids in high school. So and you're talking the remake, the 2009 yeah. version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the fact that it's kind of got a little bit more bite to it, and it's also about like high school kids getting killed by this thing that plagued their town. However, many years ago, I think is a pretty apt um, equation for those, for uh, that movie there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting that you went with H2O. I went with Halloween resurrection because it was also trying to, that was the Halloween attempt to be meta. Yeah. Which in the live streaming and everything too. Exactly. Yeah. So like has the live streaming stuff, the, a lot of those kind of same things. Um, so I went with Halloween resurrection and then I combined it with a recent film, uh, spree. Oh, did you, did you I haven't that checked that one out. It's, it's, it's been on my list since it came It's really out. good. Yeah. And we are going to talk about it Ooh. when we do a found footage month nice. at some point. Um, cause I really love this movie. Um, but basically the plot of the movie is this guy, he's a YouTuber who's been doing YouTube for years and he has no following and has, you know, and like he's trying to, so he wants to get a following on Instagram. He wants to up his yeah. channel. Yeah. And uh, so he decides he's going to live stream himself killing people while driving this rideshare thing. Yeah. He's got to live stream the whole thing. Yeah. And um, the movie does really cool stuff with like the formatting of it, with like the way that they incorporate the live streaming and um, like social media and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they really use it really well, but then also just this idea of someone thinking, Oh, for me to be famous, I'm going to just kill a bunch of people and that's yeah. going to make me famous. And, and, to the and, internet. And, yeah. and you know, and spree has a lot to say about, you know, um, social media and like, or the, the desire to be social media famous and yeah. like, you know, how important it seems to, you know, kids of that age. Sure. Um, so yeah, so I would say Halloween resurrection and spree. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we got one more movie in the screen franchise to talk about. Let's right. talk about the new one. Mm-hmm. Very excited. Next um, week. yeah, I'm, yeah, we're going to do the episode. Um, that episode will come out next week. 
And um, I still haven't seen it at the time of this recording. So I'm very excited, especially with some of the things that you have said about it. Yes. And um, and again, like I'm just a little bit more excited for it more now because I appreciate this franchise um, more than I did when we started covering it. Yeah, I think out of all of the slasher franchises to come back, I think this one is makes the most sense. Yes, you know, versus 100%. some of the other franchises mm-hmm. I might even prefer a little bit more. I, the, this, when they announced, we're going to make another screen movie. I'm like, great. You've got a lot of material to go off Mm -hmm. of now, not just in regards to Hollywood making sequels about things that came out 40 years ago or whatever it is, you know, the cases with each film, but also the state of horror right now. And this kind of idea of quote unquote elevated horror and what that even means. And you know, I do too. (laughs) Um, so I think you'll love the discussion that this movie has about that, not to spoil anything here, but yeah, there's plenty of stuff to talk about. So I'm excited to have a pretty substantive conversation about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, yeah, I think this one does make the most sense to have a franchise, uh, come back because it's like a combination of obviously the way that they commentate on what's going on in the film landscape. Yeah. But then also like that's where the, um, you know, the, the ghost face persona like works out because like there, there's always can be another ghost face. Like, you know, you run into problems in other franchises. It's like, okay, well they're going to kill the killer and then the killer's going to come back to life somehow. And then this and that, and you know, it's like, and then it, as you go along, it gets like, you know, less plausible to be like, okay, how are you still keeping this? Yeah killer involved absolutely so it's like it, it'll always make sense yeah whether to say i want to see a scream six eh, we can talk about that then but yeah i'm definitely pumped to uh, talk about that next week i'll probably go see it again take little notes or something so i can you know you don't get everything the first time and mm-hmm. i want to be able to kind of uh, have some make sure those thoughts are nice and fresh for our discussion yeah yeah and um we will talk about the movie we will give our ranking of the franchise as a whole and then we will also rank our ghost faces and maybe talk about our favorite kills again let's do it i'm very excited um but that will go ahead and do it for this one um garrett where can the people find you you can find me on twitter youtube and letterboxd at garrett mcdowell um if you want to go to my youtube channel you can see all of my favorite uh, top 10 favorite movies of 2021 finally got around to uh, putting that out uh that was uploaded this morning so you can go check that out um, but if you want to see any other movies that I'm seeing, not just new stuff, you can go to my letterbox and see all my thoughts there, all my silly little thoughts on uh, letterbox. And you can uh, see new, old, even some mini series on there. A lot of good stuff happening there. And then on Twitter, uh, where I'm a little less active. But yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, watch your top 10 video. I'm going to give that a watch. I'm seri- it's, curious what your list looks it's like. It's funny because you tweeted out on the Bloody Blunts Cinema Club like a uh, uh, Twitter, like how many horror movies does Garrett have in there? And I was like, Ooh. Oh, literally not a one. Uh, <laughs> really? So, yeah. Not one. The, uh, I have a few in my honorable <laughs> mentions, but my, it, it's not to say that I didn't like horror movies this year. I malignant and the night house and the feast. So I have three in my honorable mentions. Um, but okay. the top, my top 10 was so tight this year that I just, I couldn't find one. I did. I, I uh, not to spoil, but Shiva baby is somewhere in my top 10. And I was like, this is as Shiva close. Baby is close. This is as close as we're getting to a horror movie because this is absolutely terrifying <laughs> i, I want to talk about shiva baby i have a um i want to do a month of almost horror yeah and it, i think shiva baby would be a fun one to talk about in that totally because yeah. it's like yeah it's a comedy but it's definitely filmed like a horror film which absolutely. i love yeah uh, shiva baby is like my number 
four movie, I think. Great. Awesome. Uh, uh, from the year. But yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco. And my letterbox is bloody blunts. Um, I'm doing something good now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to beat my record this year. I'm, I'm going, I'm trying to top my record. I'm trying to hit 400 movies. Four, I've never hit 400. Like all new to For, you or no, re- just like in, in total. Okay. Like yeah. just total. Yeah, I, I've tried to do the new new movies to me a day, like see something that I've never seen before mm-hmm. a day. It's tough. It's, yeah. it's I, hard. But I, yeah. I stay pretty balanced between like rewatches and first time watches, but yeah. we're only two weeks into January and I got like 26 movies under my belt. Look at you. We're going we're gonna to do some big boy numbers this year. 